Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Graham Lloyd, welcome back to the Ocean Protect podcast. Thank you. It's great to be back. <laughs> and look, uh, we had a wonderful chat. And uh, is your second appearance on our uh, show? I had to go back into the archives. You were season two, episode four, some 18 months ago. There's been a few changes since we last spoke, but you're keeping well? Yeah, I'm keeping well. We had a little thing called COVID since then. So there's been <laughs> yeah, quite a few challenges across the board since that time. And the question has to be asked, Graham: are you still an avid listener of the Ocean Protect podcast? Yeah, still listening, just probably not as much as before. Now I'm uh, working FIFO at the moment, so not driving yeah. as much, but, yeah, still an avid listener. Very good. It has to be asked, well, what is your favourite episode of all time, Graham? Ooh. It's like having kids, but you don't want to uh, say a favourite, but do you secretly have one? I think I really like the podcast with Lisa, but that's probably just Playing favoritism. Well, that actually was a really good podcast. The one thing about podcasting is people are obviously listening and they don't see what was going on. On that particular day, it was stinking hot in Brisbane and we were in Brad's house and, his, and we were literally <laughs> hovering over our microphones next to the air conditioning unit. We are worried about the, the air coming out. Would it, you know, affect it? But no, great chat with Lisa and no, that, that, that was a favourite for us. But Graham... What's been going on, mate? We haven't told you for 18 months, as Brad said. What's going on in the life of uh, Graham Lloyd? Yeah, um, I've changed careers. Once um, COVID came along, the major event industry I was working with has taken a pause for probably the last 18 months. So I took that time to get out and see what else was around. So I'm now concentrating on the volunteering and working for Sea Shepherd on this campaign, as well as working as a trail builder for Trailworks. Yeah. And so just to clarify, what is your role nowadays with Sea Shepherd Australia? So I'm still a volunteer, but I'm also heading up our waves of change. So we're lucky enough to get a government grant under the Queensland Sustainability Action Program. We got that and we created the Waves of Change project where we're trying to increase participation and education on the issue of marine debris and how everybody can get involved to stop it. 
I do know of one event you've at least had with the waves of change, and there's a there's a couple more. And I, and I hear you sort of trying to target, you know, maximise your sex appeal of these events. Is, is that is that just a speculation or what's going on there? No, that was only by introducing yourself. We should clarify. So I was lucky, very fortunate enough to be invited to participate as a guest speaker at one of the set waves of change events, and I think there's two more, uh, one planned in Brisbane in November, I think, and one in uh, Sunshine Coast as well a little bit later on. But do you want to explain what these events are all about? As part of the program, we put together 13 cleanups across southeast mm. Queensland. So we're actually halfway through the cleanups. So we've got another one which we participate in the Great Nurdle Hunt this Sunday at Coolum. So we continue on and then we've got a dive cleanup in two weeks' time. So we'll continue on with those cleanups and we've been able to expand our advertising and the way that we promote it and the time we spend on organising these cleanups. And we've also done three waste-free workshops. So we're just offering them at, at different beach cleans that we advertise through the website and Facebook. And then, yeah, the exciting part was having the opportunity to host three public film nights on marine debris. So we, um, we've we had one on the Gold Coast already. We've got one coming up at Sandgate on the 5th of November, so just in a couple of weeks, and then an outdoor screening on the sunny coast at Cotton Tree on the 3rd of November. We screen rubber jellyfish, which is by a Queensland filmmaker, Carly Wilson. Then we screen Sea Shepherd documentary, Untrashing Jewel Pan. Then we have Brad speak. Then we do a Q&A panel with the guests from the, the filmmaker to Brad to people that are involved from local council. So we've got Paul Cusack from Brisbane City Litter Prevention Team. He's going to come and speak at the Brisbane event. Yeah, cool. That's fantastic. Sorry, are you saying it's fantastic when you hear his let's hone in on this so your Q&A panel session that you had I mean how did Brad go did he hold his own was he out there fixing his muscles I mean what what was actually going on was he, was he running the Ocean Protect flag high or was he running the Brad Dalrymple flag no, I think he was running the Asian protection flag high. He, he stole he stole the show there for a while. Yeah, no, it was a it, it was a really good night, and I think it was a good opportunity for people just to see all the different facets and people that are involved in trying to protect our oceans and minimising waste getting to the oceans and different ways because it was such a wide variety. You you know you've got the way of stopping stormwater and and the waste being transferred to the ocean in the first place, then you had rubber jellyfish about balloon releases and the issues mm. that that had come from there. And then you had our Sea Shepherd local beach cleanups as well as the film about remote cleanups. So it was very broad. So, yeah, yeah, I thought the format worked really well and we're super excited for the next two. And I was actually really – like, we'll, we'll have to get Carly Wilson on the show, but she, that was a hell of a story. I, I, it really gave me an insight as to the scourge of – balloon pollution in our oceans and actually sort of explained it a lot more than I actually fully realized. And look, for those who haven't seen the film, you can watch a snippet of it on YouTube. It's called Rubber Jellyfish. But uh, just the way that these balloons burst and then come down to the ocean surface, I actually didn't know this. Uh, they, they basically burst in a way that 
means that these balloons often resemble exactly like jellyfish. It's quite bizarre to see. And to have the balloon manufacturers, you know, as part of this movie being interviewed and they're saying this couldn't possibly be the case. And then for Carly to explain and, and obviously the illustrations and diagrams and sort of uh, footage showing how it actually happens. Uh, I was really surprised and it just shows you how these balloons can just cause massive damage when they are released. And unfortunately, the unfortunate reality is they are being still released in various parts of the world, sometimes on a mass scale. And just to highlight the how they, I guess, become plastic pollution and cause damage, it's all about sharing that message. And I think a lot of people would walk away from that going, well, I'm, I'm certainly going to think twice about releasing a balloon ever again. Yeah, and we do find we do find them at at the beach cleanups mm. on an ongoing basis. One of the volunteers, Carl, makes displays out of them to try and highlight them. That we show the children and the families that come along, so they can realise some of the issues. And it's something tactile that they can hold and yeah, you know, learn more about it from there, and then get interested in it and take it from there and view Carly's film. Quick question, you know, we've all grown up with balloons. I mean, it's a party, you're you're 12 years old or 8 years old. What are the alternatives to what's actually happening? Yeah, I think the issue so far has been that they've been marketed as being biodegradable and they're not. So the issue, I think, is more a reusable source, whether it be banners or or a confetti made out of rice or something like that. I don't think there's anything that's exactly balloon-like that I'm aware of. Well, this is what the Ocean Protect podcast is all about. I mean, the person that can come up with a truly mm. biodegradable balloon that keeps kids happy and, you know, recyclable or whatever, game changer. Right there. But, you know, yeah, the, fact, the fact that we're talking about balloons being a, a major issue in our marine life from something that was so joyful, you know, yes. balloons provide happiness and everyone needs to be happy. I mean, to me as a business owner, you go, hey, well, that's an opportunity. You know, there, there's a market to keep kids happy and save the planet. You know, this is what it's all about. And um, it's great, Graham, that you're facilitating these type of chats in and around Queensland. So when are you coming down to New South Wales? When the border opens. <laughs> I'm in New Zealand, so I can't even talk. So, <laughs> but, but, but to that point, Jeremy, like, uh, and we talked about this in our, our recent chat with Ben Penelaric around the opportunities for capitalism in solving environmental problems. You know, the first person who comes up with a, a, a suitably environmentally friendly alternative to balloons, whether it's even a balloon at all, will probably make an absolute fortune. The balloon industry is, is I'm sure, a multi-billion dollar industry. Absolutely. It's similar to the conversation I heard when I was at the Sydney Litter Conference. Gee whiz, it must have been pre-COVID. It was, I think it was a representative from uh, one of the big tobacco companies and they basically said the first person who comes up with a cigarette butt that isn't made of plastic will completely take over the industry. And it's the same thing for balloons. And whilst it's not up to Graham to come up with solutions, I think he's doing a great job as his Sea Shepherd Australia, as is Carly and others, about highlighting the problem. Uh, and it's almost giving awareness to the issue and then sort of raising sort of, I guess, incentive to come up with a suitable alternative and probably make a whole bunch of money in the process. Graham, so everyone knows Sea Shepherd. Everyone loves the banner that's behind you right now for people that, that can't see, obviously, all our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get a gig at Sea Shepherd? Yeah. Through the website, you can apply to be either an onshore volunteer. So we have onshore volunteers and offshore volunteers. So the onshore volunteers are the guys that you'll see at the events selling T-shirts, 
at music events at our beach clean. So it's quite easy to join and become involved as an onshore volunteer. And it's a vital part of raising the funds that enable us to keep the ships out at the sea for the offshore volunteers. So yeah, it's it's quite an easy process to go through. There are chapters across right across Australia. So I strongly encourage anybody that wanted to get involved just to go to the Sea Shepherd Australia website and yeah, look at look at getting in because it is it is something great to be involved in. I think Jeremy's keen to jump on one of those rubber dinghies though and put some, you know, banners or bombs on some of those whaling ships. How, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, that's through the offshore volunteers. Oh, here we go. This is, this is what I want to know about. <laughs> so it, it's the same that we can, um, that, that anybody can apply. You don't need to be an onshore volunteer first. That anybody can apply to join the offshore crew. We also have Apex Harmony, which is our shark protection campaign in Queensland and New South Wales in particular. And they are out in the dinghies, you know, having a look and following contractors to see what's actually happening out there. Yeah, well, and obviously there's been a lot of attention around shark nets in particular. We had the producer and the marketing manager from this Envoy Shark Cull movie just on our podcast recently, just in the last month or so. There's been actually quite a few whales and dolphins being caught in shark nets off the coast of New South Wales and Queensland. And, and, and we're not saying so Sea Shepherd Australia, they have individuals that go out and actually just keep an eye on the, the contractors responsible for managing those shark nets and baiting lines, whatever they referred to. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. The campaign, I believe, has been going for eight to ten years, um, Apex Harmony, and they monitor the program and, and see what's being done and how everybody can work together to remove the outdated way that we do things now and look at new solutions like drone technology to, to monitor this. Am I right in saying you've got to be a vegan, though, to get on those uh, anti-whaling ships? Is that right, Graham? I'm, I'm not sure if Jeremy can get a Guernsey. Are your potatoes in? Are you planting your potatoes? <laughs> Have I planted my potatoes? My potatoes are in. My tomatoes are in. My oh, you're going to need a veggie patch. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you growing your own veggies, mate? I am. You yeah, know I'm growing my own veggies. I've got a veggie patch. What's in your garden? Right uh, there's a bunch of kale, and I've actually just harvested a bunch of radishes as well. Oh yeah. Um, right. And I got a. I put. I bought two eggplant plants from Bunnings, and I reckon I got about twenty eggplants out of them. Eggplants, um, amazing. But, do, do you put barbecue? No, I don't have a barbecue. <laughs> No, I actually make a beautiful, I actually made it a couple of nights ago, a beautiful roasted eggplant pesto. Oh, mate, pasta. do you know what? Buy oh, a barbecue. Do you know what, Brad? Go out and get a Weber, the first vegan barbecue man. <laughs> you know what? It's a, no, it's the fastest way you cook veggies. Put it on the barbecue. Okay. Graham, are you still a, a vegan? I, I take it. I don't think you've had your day since I last saw you. Still on the plant power? Yeah, definitely still a vegan. So <laughs> still, still on the bus. But in answer to the question, you don't have to be vegan to be on the ship. You just have to follow the vegan diet while you're on out there. You can't be protecting the animals while you're eating them. So um, that's right. That, that that would just be hypocritical, wouldn't it, Graham? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, is this the Ocean Tech podcast or is this uh, Graham? Graham today? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned uh, cigarette butts, and one thing I, I do want to delve into in a little bit detail, Graham, is getting back to this marine debris campaign. I know you guys just don't collect litter in these cleanup activities. You actually collect a whole bunch of data as well. And you sent me, I think, a file with a whole bunch of your statistics. Do you want to sort of just give people a, a quick overview of those stats that have come out of your cleanups? Because this, for me, is, is really fascinating. It is a vital part of the campaign where we're actually counting it, you know. So we, we go out, we conduct the clean-up, um, so everybody goes out, we do a bit of a brief, everybody collects the rubbish, and then from there we 
count at all. So it's all been collected since 2016 and we have it all in a spreadsheet that's available to anybody to see it. So we've counted, we've collected over 7 million pieces since the campaign started and of that we've counted 3.6 million. So they're all accounted for in that document. So what's the key messages that come out of this data set though from your mind, Graham? Well, it's always been cigarette butts have always been up there. And like you said, once we come up with a solution for that or, you know, a a container deposit scheme type solution for even collecting them afterwards, that would make a, a massive difference. But recently in a report, it shows that the plastic is now taking over from cigarette butts. The Queensland State Environment Report reported that yeah, plastic items have now replaced cigarette butts as the most commonly littered items in Queensland. Yeah, that's really surprising because that cigarette butt issue, and not, not belittling the cigarette butt issue, it's still a major issue. I think it, but historically, it always has been the, the most commonly littered item globally, but in, in Australia as well. But it's just interesting how that, yes, the State of the Environment report put out by Queensland shows that the plastic items have actually exceeded cigarette butts. 
the amount of debris straight up and people litter right in front of you, which is quite annoying. They're just throwing away. They've got their balloons. They've got their parties and they've had the party and walk away. You've got a big shiver t-shirt on and they do it in front of you. Yeah, definitely. We still get, you know, especially, you know, unfortunately with cigarette butts, I don't know. I'm an ex-smoker, so I've always put mine in the bin back then so I don't see what the issue is, why people have to throw them because, honestly, a lot of them are, right next to the bin. You know, there's smoke next to the bin and dump them there. Graham, do you know what I used to do? And this is no bit of a lie. I used to put them in my pocket. I used to come home from a night out and my jeans would stink and I'm like, there'd be cigarette butts because I would refuse to put them out there. You sometimes fed them. Like people go, oh, because you're a smoker, you are a bad environmentalist. No, that's not the case. Look at Graham. Graham is a, a volunteer for Sea Shepherd. He is the man. He's done how many beach cleanups? And he admits that he was a smoker. But, you know, people often go, hey, you're, you're a smoker. You know, you're causing harm on the environment. No, you're causing harm on yourself, number one. But then you have the choice to do what you do with the discarded butt. And that's really what it comes down to. What we're all seeing here is litter, whether it's cigarette butts, whether it's a Coke can, whether it's anything. It's your choice of what you do with the product once you're finished with it, isn't it? You know, like, um, I I guess what I'm trying to say, a lot of the time people focus on the person and and that becomes a very, people focus on the person, which becomes a personal issue. So people feel like that, you know, someone's hating on them. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So therefore they retract and they, you know, defense mechanisms. Brad, you've spoken about it. People don't like pain. It's a natural reaction. People then go, Oh, I'm stepping back from that. I'm going to, like, how many people throw away their doggy bags? Exactly. Slurpee cups. Uh, $1 Slurpees. That's, like, hmm. amazing the amount of them we pick up. Lake Wanaka, where I am right now. I can't believe it, the amount of dog poo bags that you walk around that I have to pick up. I'm like, we're a developed nation. We're in, we're in New Zealand where we don't have any COVID down here. We're thriving. It's a beautiful country. And people still pick up their dog poo, mm. put it into a bag, and then throw that bag away. Well, I was speaking to Paul from the Brisbane City Litter Prevention Team at the last clean-up in Brisbane, and he said council are now looking at getting fluoro bags because they're sick of providing the free bags for people and then they're littering them, so they're going to actually, they're looking at making them now fluorescent yeah. so then at least people can witness what's occurring with them because it's not just whether they're biodegradable or not, it's still it's still the act. So just in Brisbane, just as a side, I know for a fact that the council dog poo bags are black. So, yeah, it's a strange solution. But I think to that point, like I think a lot of people just don't make the connection. It's like cigarette butts. I think a lot of smokers don't actually appreciate that the cigarette butt itself is plastic and it does take a long time to, you know, break down and it'll, it'll absorb a whole bunch of pollution in the meantime and potentially end up in a gut of a seabird or a turtle or whatever. And I just think a lot of people just don't know that. But I think raising awareness, whether it's actually just that educational campaign or getting people involved in the cleanups, will change that understanding. And even from my perspective, I remember when I joined you on your beach cleanup a while ago now, Graham in Labrador, I physically could not believe how many cigarette butts there were. I was the vast majority of the items that we picked up. And I know often we seem to be just going over the same area that other people had already done their litter cleanup on, and we were still picking up stacks of cigarette butts. It's just, it felt like one of those sort of, you know, drinking bird, you know, constantly bending over to pick up a cigarette butt. But it's interesting how, yeah, plastic items are actually 
superseding cigarette butts as the number one littered item, which obviously is a good thing in terms of maybe cigarette butts, but it's obviously a bad thing in terms of plastic items. And, and just on the plastic items issue, like what you mentioned, you see a lot of Slurpee containers, but what are the key plastic items that you see in your beach cleanups? I think a lot of remnants, tons of single use items, you know, yeah. like with COVID, unfortunately, we've seen people were using a lot of keep cups, but that's all turned around now so you're seeing the return of the coffee cups you're seeing the slurpees you're seeing the fast food takeaway containers but then a lot of remnants of you know plastic packaging as well because it's so transportable by the wind Mm. that people might put it in their outdoor bin but the lid's open and it it just gets blown away and Mm. makes its way into the stormwater system and then back out into the ocean it's a lot of broken down product the, the fact that it's a single-use items that are the most commonly seen thing in your beach cleanups is actually consistent with essentially the science that comes out of peer-reviewed, published journals, whatever, that the, the overwhelming majority of the plastic that we're seeing in the ocean, our waterways and cleanups, et cetera, is single-use items. But from, from my perspective, that's really a great opportunity to actually solve this issue as well. We are in Queensland and in other parts of Australia, we are progressively banning single-use items. And I think Whilst all the education in the world is fantastic in terms of trying to mitigate that that use of single-use plastic items, I think just a progressive ban, an ultimate ban on all single-use plastics will, will go a long way to actually addressing this issue. I want to shout out to uh, Harbour Fish in Queenstown. Now, for, I know you're two vegans here, but I went and got some <laughs> fish yesterday. Okay, Harbour Fish, and this lady in front of me you know, was queuing up and she said, oh, look, can I get a plastic bag with that you know, to put her fish in? And the, the lady behind the counter just li- literally looked at her and went, excuse me? She went from behind the counter and said, listen, young lady, walked her outside and there's, it's, quite, it's quite cool. It's where people deposit reusable bags, you know, shopping bags to go. So it's a mm. place where people go, oh, I've got too many. They put them in. She goes, don't ever. She scolded this woman. You, wow. don't need a, you don't need a plastic bag. Go here. You can get someone that someone else has used. It was ironic. We're in a fish shop. Talking about plastic, and it was uh, it was lovely to see. So, Harbour Fish, Queen Sound, shout out to you. <laughs> because because it's all about alternatives. It's it's human nature. Like yeah. Uber Eats, for instance, why are they not responsible for how much yeah. packaging is going out? Because what they've done, they've come in, they've gone great. Let's create a convenience system. Mm. Great, anyone loves a feed. Like, give me a food now. You order Uber. You've got a mountain yeah. load of bloody waste yeah. to deal yeah. with. Totally. It becomes a convenience thing. Like, Brad, if you're hungry, you're hangry. Like, you want to switch now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, for convenience, sometimes you, you Look, do. I'd be the first one to admit I've got Uber Eats before and I'm staggered when I do get it. Sometimes it is it comes with a whole bunch of plastic and you, and you definitely feel guilty. Me of all people should know that's the bad thing. But any solution, from my perspective, to achieve widespread adoption does need to be simple and convenient and almost needs to, the decision needs to be made for you. And when it comes to sort of the, the fast food suppliers or, or whatever, I really would love to see just a progressive ban of single-use items. You know, why does Uber Eats have to come in plastic? Why do people think they need to have a plastic bag for their fish or whatever or their grocery items or whatever? So, yeah. It comes down to money, Brad. Absolutely. There's always a vested interest in keeping things the way things are, but ultimately that just isn't good enough for our environment and ultimately our health as a human race. We are progressively seeing this isn't just an ecological issue anymore. It's a human health issue. And I think we need to recognise that this issue is 
it needs to be addressed quickly and effectively. And unfortunately, from my perspective, looking at the old waste management hierarchy, the most effective way to address this plastic pollution problem is to avoid and ideally ban the items that we see most commonly in our beach cleanups and our waterways and our oceans. And ultimately, that is single-use plastic items. It's not a major inconvenience. You know, it's the plastic bags, it's the plastic cups, the straws, the cutlery, whatever, the, and the wrappers. Why do we need to wrap mandarins in, in, in plastic? Why do we, why do we need to have oranges in, in, a, in a plastic bag? We just fundamentally don't, but we're just used to that now. Well, I mean, do you like sushi? Uh, sushi? You mean like a, a vegan? Vegan sushi. Everyone loves sushi. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, totally. But yeah, you get sushi, it's all in this plastic. You know, you're like, oh. But again, why does it need to be? Anyway, enough about that. I mean, our listeners want to hear Paul Watson. Have you met him? What's he like? Uh, no, no, unfortunately, I, I haven't had the opportunity to meet him. We've had a, a Zoom meeting, I think, once with him. Oh, wow. Um, when he got on and spoke to all the volunteers, so very giving of his time and spoke to all the volunteers across Australia. And like you said before about volunteering, I think the big thing and the reason that people get up in the morning is that you're joining a lot of people to go out there and do good. I think that's what inspires people and that's why people become Sea Shepherd volunteers because it is a very positive group you know you're all there to make a difference everybody's coming together from different backgrounds different ages different ideologies and coming together whether it's to do a beach clean or to raise money on funds to keep the boats out you know that's the big thing it's it's when you're in that environment and brad saw it you know we didn't have a massive turn up for our screening the other day but you know just with a group of people the the atmosphere was so positive and the feedback from everybody was so positive just from a small to medium-sized group coming together having a chat about solutions you know like I think we left with a lot of questions and, and different ways that we could all work together to get the message out there further and make these changes that need to be made. Yeah. And Jeremy was asking before, you know, how does Graham get up in the morning? And I think a big part of actually driving change in the environmental space is maintaining resilience. And we talked about this in our last chat with Ben Penelaric. And I think a big part of maintaining resilience is to surround yourself with like-minded, positive people. I speak from personal experience. When you go to a Sea Shepherd Australia event, you absolutely do get that in spades, 100%. You talked about Paul Watson giving of his time. Gee whiz, Graham, as much as Paul might give a fair bit of his time, you're certainly right on his tails if haven't if you haven't exceeded him. And it's worth noting you've been volunteering a lot of your time over the last many, many years. And it's weekends. It's obviously now. You, this is your day off from your flying fly out trail building job. And you're taking the time out to talk to a couple of uh, rat bags like us. And it is, I guess, a labor of love. And I think to can maintain that sort of passion and drive and effectiveness, you do need to you know, tap into the energy of others every so often. And I think that's what, that's a key thing that I personally see in Sea Shepherd Australia events. You know, the Gold Coast event, for example, there was a bunch of really positive, happy going yeah. people. And uh, I think that was fantastic. And I think in, in this age of post COVID, we are screaming out for social interaction. If that social interaction can be positive and benevolent, fantastic. Yeah, well, it's now up to 32,000 people that have joined us at our beach clean. So I think that's another big thing because let's look at the clean up on Sunday. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll leave home at 4 a.m. to get up, yeah. the, up the coast and set up and be ready for it. But, you know, like to get 32,000 like-minded people out there cleaning is pretty amazing. And despite COVID in the last year, we've still been able to do 100 cleanups across Australia. You know, and that's with New South Wales and Victoria in lockdown. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. 
Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.